Coming up, what should you think about if you're thinking about quitting your job in 2024? And then Gen Zers, God, I love them because I'm raising three of them, but they have some different ideas about money and revenue in the middle class. We'll talk about it next. Let's go. All right. The numbers are out there and they are being reported on a regular basis. 46% of the American workforce is actively considering changing their job in 2024. This is the new reality we live in coming out of what was a historic season called the Great Resignation coming out of the pandemic. We saw this in 2021 and 2022. Four plus million people per month were changing jobs. And as we see more and more of Gen Z coming into the workforce, they are following in the footsteps of the millennials, the generation prior to them, which happens to be the largest demographic in the workforce. And they are a, 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 a collective, two generations, that basically are saying, I'm going to move a lot. And what we mean by that is moving professionally, which means changing jobs, which means and then quitting. So if you are somebody who's thinking about it, but you're back and forth, in other words, there's an old phrase called double-mindedness. You're double-minded. When you're one minute, uh, you're going, I think I want to move on. The other minute, I don't know if this is a good decision. This is good tension. This back and forth, hot and cold. I think Katy Perry has a song. You're hot and you're cold. That's all I know. And uh, yeah, you know, you're back and forth. I get it. Uh, by the way, for a major decision like this professionally, your next move professionally, there ought to be some tension. You ought to be hot and cold, as Katy Perry said, right? Uh, that means that you're actually wrestling with it, and we aren't making a snap decision. Keep in mind, coming out of the great resignation that I just mentioned, we saw a period, or we saw some data, rather, that said there was the great regret. People who said, I wish I had not left. So, if you're in that situation where you're back and forth, what do I do? I want to give you a construct by which you can always make the right decision on moving up. As I want you moving up, not just moving out. We want to make sure that a move out, in other words, I'm moving on from my current role. I want to make sure that we're moving up. And by the way, as we think through this and walk through this, keep in mind that sometimes it's worth staying where you are and moving up where you are. Don't make the mistake of assuming that in order to move up, I must move out. All right. Let's talk about this back and forth, the hot and cold. Deep down, this is about you not trusting yourself to make the right decision. And the indecision, the lack of trust in your own judgment is wearing you down. It's exhausting. So I want to show you how to take yourself out of the limbo to kind of have an out-of-body experience and I'm going to do it with three steps, all right? Step one, we want to evaluate the facts. Now, you only need to be clear about three things. First, do you have room to grow in the job that you're in? And be realistic. And then when you think you've been realistic, get someone else's opinion in the building. This isn't, you don't have to let them know you're thinking about leaving. Just go like, do you think I have an opportunity to grow here? Talk to your leader about it. Talk to your cohorts. What do you think it looks like to grow here? You think it's possible? I want to make sure that I get some feedback and some objectivity into this question. Do I have room to grow where I am? If not, it is time to go. Second, 
is the environment that I'm in, is it truly unhealthy? Now, the word that gets used in, in today's world is toxic, and I think that it's become too commonplace. In other words, we use the toxic label too freely and as a result, inaccurately. If an environment is toxic, guess what? You don't have to ask somebody. You know. A troublesome coworker, a difficult leader, that doesn't mean that you're in a toxic environment. Toxic is truly a poisonous, dangerous environment for a variety of reasons. A toxic stew, right? Anytime a chemical is toxic, there's multiple things going into that. It should be pretty obvious. If it's not, it's not toxic. And then finally, do you have a better opportunity, a better ladder, if you want to use that metaphor, somewhere else? If yes, then you can say, all right, it is in fact time for me to move on. Step two, now we got to make a decision. There's a difference between knowing and doing. In fact, most people in life, in any area of their life, let's look at the professional side, of course, the personal, the physical, the spiritual. If there is a lack of growth, if someone feels stuck in any of those areas, I can tell you that the problem is there is a gap between knowing what they should do and doing what they should do. It's always the case. Knowing and doing Two very different things. So now that we know in step one, step two is I have to actually decide. There's great power, tremendous power to move you forward in simply deciding, all right, we're going to take this action. Even if the decision is to reevaluate the facts in 90 days. All right, I'll tell you what. I'm going to look, I'm going to listen, and that's part of moving forward. Commit to a decision so that we stop the internal debate. Step three. Now we got to take action. Do what you said you do. We've looked. We've listened. We've thought. We've prayed. We've gotten feedback. Whatever. And now it's time to do what you said you do. Dismiss the doubt. Don't look back. By the way, doubt only shows up for people who are looking or moving forward. So if you've got doubt, it doesn't mean you're making a bad decision. It means you're moving forward and it is the unknown and the unknown creates doubt. We've turned doubt into this, whoa, and it should be, okay, I got some doubt because I'm about to move into some level of unknown. So as you begin to step forward here, this helps you build trust in yourself. Remember I said earlier on, how do we develop trust in ourselves? Because listen, doubt is a function of, I don't trust my own judgment. And so this will begin to, to help you see, wait a second, as I follow through, I see that I am to be trusted and that I can and do make good decisions. So if there are lessons learned, because there are going to be things that happen in the unknown, you apply them to the next decision. You're still better off. So the idea of being stuck, I love talking about being stuck because stuck is a choice. Let me say it again. Being stuck means that you've stayed in a stuck position. Many times we'll say, I feel stuck, and that's really what's going on. So if you're stuck, can I just tell you, you've chosen to stay stuck. Stuck should be temporary. 
as we're talking about professional growth and personal growth, and that's what we're talking about. Let me explain. If I am feeling stuck or I am saying to someone, I'm stuck, then you you have, in fact, decided to stay stuck. Let me explain in an illustration of that we all know, mud, quicksand, uh, just think of something like that where, or maybe you're stuck in a tight crevice, you've got yourself in it, and, and maybe a tool has gotten stuck. Okay, when that happens, we immediately go, oh, progress has stopped. Whatever we were doing, remember, in order to be stuck, there had to be progress ahead of time. So at some point, we're moving forward, growing, doing, and we get stuck. And many times, it's circumstances outside of our control. Get that, all right? And in that moment, progress stops, thus... We're stuck. But in any other situation, if you get a tool stuck, if you get stuck, you know, your your arm, your arm gets stuck, if your kid's ever gotten their arm stuck and they start to panic, as a parent, you know this is temporary. And what do we have to do? We have to look at the situation. How did the tool get stuck? Where's the tool stuck? Right? Where's the arm stuck? My car is stuck. Oh, which tire is it? Oh, it's here, right? So what do we do? We examine the situation. And then what do we do? We solution for getting that tool, the hand, our bodies, the car, unstuck. But see, many of us in our professional and our personal development and growth, when we get stuck, we, we receive it and we and instead of it examining it and going, how do I get out of there and let's treat this with some urgency, we just stay. And here's why. We stay because it is really uncomfortable to get unstuck professionally. It involves us moving forward or moving back or moving sideways. And that's what freaks us out. Now you have a decision process. Do it. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Don't we all need help being better? And they're great at it. You know, we all carry around a lot of stress from our family life and our professional life, and it can just hit us at the same time. Big stuff, small stuff. And we can talk to our friends, or maybe you have a great relationship with a leader at work or a coworker, but you may not feel comfortable telling them everything. I know I wouldn't. And when we keep things bottled up, it will eventually leak out, and it's really negative. But therapy, it's a safe space to get everything off your chest with an unbiased professional and figure out how to work through the stuff that's weighing you down. So if you've thought of therapy before, you're thinking about it now, please try BetterHelp. Therapy isn't just for people who've gone through trauma. It's great to build skills, to become better personally and professionally. And BetterHelp is flexible enough to fit your busy schedule because it's completely online. All you do is fill out a short questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no extra cost. It's time to get stuff off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ken today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ken. All right, welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. Hey, if the show is uh, helping you, equipping you, encouraging you, entertaining you, would you help us spread the word? You could do that by liking the videos on YouTube, subscribing to our YouTube channel, and sharing. Then if you're listening via podcast, give us a follow, a five-star review, and share. I would be grateful for that. Okay, I want to get to a couple of stories here 
uh, that I think are very, very relevant. Uh, here's the one headline. This uh, requires special paper crinkling today because it's uh, it's troublesome. The headline, some Gen Zers can't believe a $74,000 salary is considered middle class. What is this about? A recent Newsweek survey indicated Gen Z didn't consider $74,000 middle class. And so there is a viral TikTok uh, that has also gained a lot of traction. An Orlando real estate agent went on TikTok uh, excuse me, TikTok, uh, after sharing this Newsweek study. Uh, and said $4,000 to a lot of Americans is a really good salary. Okay, and I'm going to unpack that for you. Uh, the, the video's gotten 8 million views and probably more since, obviously, we, we, we put this together for the show. And uh, 41%, this is the Newsweek survey that he cites in the TikTok, only 41% of Gen Z respondents considered $74,000 to be middle class. Millennial participants of the study, uh, 50% of them said that $74,000, uh, sure, that's middle class. And then 61% of Gen Xers, that's my generation, and 73% of baby boomers agreed that $74,000 is middle class. So if you look at the people that have been working the longest, that's Gen X and the boomers, they go, yeah, 74,000 is a middle class salary. So let's look at what we know uh, from the actual data, Pew Research and the Bureau of Labor Statistics. $74,000 falls squarely in the middle between 38,000 and 114,000, which is the range that the Pew Research Center defines as the middle class. So America's middle class defined right now as the range of, on the low end, 38,000, on the high end, 114,000. So if you look at that, 74,000 is there. It's right there, square in the middle of the middle class. <laughs> so... The discrepancy, you know, this, this is interesting. Uh, 74000 is higher than the average Gen Z salary. So Gen Z's going, well, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think it's middle class. Um, in the third quarter of last year, the Bureau of Labor Statistics found that the median salary, so that means it's right in the middle, it's not the average, it's right in the middle, of 25 to 34-year-olds, was 52,000. So in this video, he goes in and he breaks down a theoretical monthly expense for a financially responsible Gen Zer, and this is what he came up with. Uh, a take-home pay of $4,300 after taxes. Then you got health insurance, 401k investments, and then he put an estimate of $1,400 on rent, a shared apartment in a mid-sized city, grocery $600, and other expenditures such as student loan payments, and this is where it gets interesting, car payments, phone bills, leisure money. At the end of the month, the average Gen Zer would be left with about $650. A meager sum that would make some that would make home ownership a distant dream, he said. And so this guy is saying, and and this is this is the deal, 
and and it's not clear in this article, Alex, but correct me if I'm wrong. What's absurd about this is that Gen Zers think that seventy four thousand dollars is essentially lower class. They don't think seventy four thousand. And they're clueless. But but that's what's absurd. First of all, they don't know what they're talking about because they don't look at. Did any of them go? Hmm. When, when surveyed, did any of them say, "Well, what is the range of current middle class?" And answer the question that way? No, they didn't. They just answered a survey. No, I think seventy four thousand dollars is lower class. It's mind boggling. So let's look at this this guy and his numbers. Okay, because he's saying to to have six hundred fifty dollars left over every month is a meager sum. Okay, let me do the math on that. Let's take his example and let's say that a Gen Zer can save six hundred and fifty dollars a month in this budget. By the way. This budget, and I'm going to come back to this, includes a student loan payment and a car payment. Okay? And then we don't know what the leisure money was, but we can do the math. $4,800 was the, excuse me, $4,300 uh, minus 1000 3300 another 400 so 2900 And he had $600 for grocery. It takes it down to 2300 And then he's playing it out. So the leisure money. So we've got a, an unidentified category of leisure money. But let's just take the six fifty a month that these Gen Zers would have. Now, last I checked, Alex, six six times twelve is seventy-two. So uh, if we take the six fifty, so we take the six hundred times twelve months, that's seventy-two hundred dollars for you mathematicians. And then there's the five times twelve, that's the fifty dollars over twelve months. That's another $600. So by my estimation, by this TikTok that went wild, an average Gen Zer could save $7,800 a year. Is my math right, guys? Thank you very much. That's pretty good. And they're sniveling at that. That's meager. How many Americans, Alex, would like to save $7,200? Excuse me. Sorry. I got my mat, $7,800 a year. A lot. Now, let's go back into this TikTok budget because this is absurdity. By the way, I have a phrase for this that I'm going to unpack in just a second. So if I've angered some of you, you Gen Zers, wait for it. I'm about to anger you a little bit more. But somebody needs to be your dad. I'm going to be your online dad today. You're pissed at your dad all the time, so I don't mind if you're pissed at me. Here we go. Let's go into the little TikTok budget. Student loan payments. What if kids worked their way through college? What if kids didn't go to all the name brand colleges and get duped by the message that a college degree is the next natural step towards success? That'd free up some money, wouldn't it? The answer is yes. Uh, real quick, Alex, I'm putting you on the spot. You don't have to tell me. You can tell me my ear. Curious what the average is there? Is there some data on the average student loan payment right now? I'd be curious because I want to plug that in. But let's say that that the average student loan payment uh, monthly is it would five hundred dollars sound too much? Between two hundred eighty and five eighty five, uh, according to the source. All right, let's split the difference, shall we? Let's go four hundred bucks. So we found four hundred bucks that you didn't have to pay in student loan. Now let's talk car payment. I know for a fact, Alex, that the average car payment in America right now is over $700. So let's just call it $700. All 
All right. So let's take the $400 student loan payment, the $700 car payment. That's $1,100 a month that I just found in this uh, in this in this TikTok video. That's $1,100. If I round it down to $1,000, guess what? That's $12,000 a year on top of the $7,800. I'm going to round it up to $20,000. $20,000 a year on this salary in this TikTok video that went viral. And everybody's going, oh, I don't have enough money. I don't make enough money. I can't survive. $20,000 a year times three years is $60,000. A $300,000 house at 20% down payment is how much? $60,000. You could buy a house in three years. Am I right? The answer is I'm unequivocally right. And I got a sweater on. I'm not a boomer. I'm a Gen Xer. This is the kind of crap that's happening on TikTok that is creating this for the younger generation. Unrealistic expectations. And let me tell you what unrealistic expectations lead to unmet expectations and unmet expectations leads to discouragement and depression and people not going for it. I just showed you with the same TikTok video and I won't go viral for this probably unless we put this next to this guy's TikTok video and go he's full of crap. And 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 this is a vision of despondency instead of a vision of reality. Based on this take home pay with no student loan debt and no car payment, you can save up for a house in three years. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. I'm tired of hearing all the griping. There is a way the American dream is alive and well. You just got to work for it. Hey, high school seniors and parents of high school seniors, it's almost graduation time. And if you're not sure about next steps, I want you to listen to this. Coding skills are essential in today's workforce. And my friends at Bethel Tech can help you start a new career really fast and do it cheap. It only takes nine months to complete a Bethel Tech course in UI, UX design, full stack development, data science, or cybersecurity. And your young person can get over a thousand hours of experience in a collaborative environment and then get placed. The average starting salary for a junior developer is $66,000. And the field is projected to grow by 22% over the next five years. Software development is a career with an enormously bright future. And right now, Bethel Tech is offering you 10% off if you watch or listen to the Ken Coleman show and you pay cash. So go to BethelTech.net slash Ken Coleman, BethelTech.net slash Ken Coleman right now for details. Terms and conditions do apply. All right, welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. Thrilled that you're with us. Hey, if you ever want to get coached up, you can do that. Email the show, ask at kencoleman.com, and we'll get you on. Let's go to Tara right now, who is in Louisville, Kentucky. Tara, you're on the Ken Coleman Show. How can I help? Hello. Oh, I got to hit the button, or I tried, guys. You're going to have to help me manually. Sorry. I did something wrong, Tara. My fault. What's going on, Tara? Hey, Ken. How are you? Uh, you know, other than pushing the wrong button, I'm great. Glad to get you on. What's happening? Uh, okay, so um, I recently left my job as a mail carrier and I've been applying for jobs 
for going on three months. I've had a few interviews, gotten to the final round, and I keep getting passed up for what I think are entry-level jobs by people who have decades of experience. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out mm. what am I doing that... I keep getting passed up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you might be fishing. You might be fishing in a uh, pond that you don't have all the equipment for. Could be. We'll see. What are you What are you applying for? Can you summarize these jobs? Is there some consistency in these? So I did the get clear assessment about two years ago. Uh, I, I'm probably the exception to the rule where it didn't quite hit me on the head, but it did give me some helpful advice. Um, I'm looking into um, like project management or paralegal work. And I'm not qualified to be a project manager, but I've researched the roles that could get me up to that point. And those are the roles I'm applying for. And it seems like, you know, I get in there, I impress them with what I have and my ambition to get in there and learn and build myself up. And then the like unicorn candidate applies. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I want to go back then. So do you have your assessment results? Because I've never heard anybody tell me that the assessment didn't nail them, that that was wrong. And and I, I want to take a shot at me being wrong because the assessment isn't about me. The assessment is you. Your answers spit out. The way you answer the question is what's, is what's caused the uh, results that you got. And I'd like to actually dive into those just for a couple minutes because we might find something, and then I want to address what's going on here. So I'm just really curious. Do you have your results close by? Yes. Let me pull them up real quick. Okay, I love Almost this. Almost there. I got my computer right in front of me. I love it. Uh, and um, actually, the day that I took the assessment, I had just been fired from a job that I thought I was doing well at. So I think my, my frame of mind was definitely a little ah, not normal. That, Probably should have waited a few days. Yeah. I wonder. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's all I want to dive in on is the stuff that the results that you say, this didn't hit me. I don't think this is really me. And and, and if we can figure that out, great. Uh, but I want to look into that. So once you have the results, read them to me slowly. Or actually, actually, I, I would almost want you to look at your purpose statement and tell me that the, 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 you're going, ah, this was right. This was spot on. This one wasn't. This one. I, I'm curious. Okay, let me get down to that. Or you could scroll through your, your the, the, the top threes and tell me where you thought it was off. Okay. So one specifically was in talent, talent number two connection. Um, I was reading off the results after I uh, got them to my mother-in-law, and she's like, that doesn't sound like you. You're you're very much an introvert and I love people. I love meeting people. I love trying to connect with people, but it, it does not seem like it should be my number two talent. Well, let me push back on that. So it's because of the way you interpreted it. Okay. If you go back and reread the description, I think you would probably see it, but let's just dive into this. What if I told you as an extreme extrovert that, while I'm really good at making connections, and that's what your mother-in-law is focusing on, uh, meaning I connect a lot just by sheer force and activity, but I'm not as good as you are at the deep connection, which is truly what we're talking about here. The talent of connection is the ability to go deep with somebody. And introverts are better at it, 
by the way, this is data, not my opinion. There's a book written by Susan Cain called Quiet, and it's all about introverts because we live in an extrovert world. You agree with that, don't you? Yes. But don't you think introverts are better at connection because they're not moving around the party? They're hanging out on the couch with one person. Who do you think is better at making a true connection, an introvert or an extrovert? The introvert that's not working the room. So do you think that your mother-in-law is wrong? Possibly. No, she's absolutely 100% wrong. I'm right. I wrote the assessment. The talent of connection is not about moving around the room, networking. The talent of connection is eyeball to eyeball, knee to knee. You walk away with a heartfelt and deep connection that matters and lasts. Do you see the difference? Yes. So who's right, me or your mother-in-law? You are. Who's right, you or your mother-in-law? Because it was your answers. Me. You're actually really good at connecting with people. And I don't mean networking. I said connecting because you said you love being with people. So as an introvert, you're a great connector, not a networker. Do you see the difference? Yes. All right. What else? Now that we solved that one, what else? That was pretty much the one that was there it is. There it is. So when you look at your assessment results, uh, read it to me, read the purpose statement to me, not super fast, but so that I can catch up because I want to see those results. Go. Okay. I was created to use my talents of compassion, connection, and discernment to perform my passions of making, teaching, advising to accomplish my mission of service by producing assistance and protection. All right. Do you agree with that when you read it? Does that sound good to your soul? Yes. Can I tell you something? I hear that purpose statement, and as the guy who developed all of this, that screams two things to me. Tara is good with people, and Tara loves working with people. Yes. But Tara's been applying for process jobs. It's four types of work. People work, process work, idea work, and object work. Objects is working with things, your hands, fixing, building, that kind of stuff. Idea work is the space I'm in, content plus people. So I'm in the people idea space. I think your your results scream people, people. Really good with people, really enjoy people. You're applying for process work. The project management has a high people quotient to it. So I'll, I'll allow that that could develop well for you eventually, but you're applying for jobs that are too high up the ladder for you. That's the simple answer. You've got to be patient and you got to go maybe a level lower or two levels lower than the jobs you've probably been applying for because simply put, you're being beat by people who have a little bit more experience. So you've got to level the playing field for you. And leveling the playing field for you means the people that have been walking in with all the extra experience they're not walking into the same room that you're walking into. Does that make sense? Yes. Now that means you got to be patient and being patient sucks. Can I just tell you? But I also Very think much. but I also think you're applying for the wrong jobs. Um the the uh the compassion the uh connection and I believe the third talent was discernment. Yes. My goodness, that's what you're, you are good 
at loving on people and caring for people. That's compassion. You're really, really good at, at getting in somebody's shoes and seeing where they are and making a personal connection, and then you can read them really well. That's discernment. Now, the, the top three passions were making, right? What were the other two? Teaching and advising. Yeah. See, the making really is interesting to me. That, to me, is a form of creation in that you you are essentially maybe building uh, opportunities or solutions for people. Does that sound about right when you see making? Yes. It's not with your yes. hands, is it? It's not that. I think my alone time is very much with my hands, but in work, I don't like making things with my hands. All right. So that's interesting. So what happened is we've got maybe a non-professional talent there, and we use that in other ways. Maybe a side hustle. Maybe maybe it's just basic hobby and therapy. So that that still rings true. But then at the very end is the mission result, and that's what I always focus on, and that is screaming, serving people. So the teaching piece, that does not mean you are supposed to be an elementary, middle school, or high school, or professor on the college level. Teaching just simply means instruction. You understand? Okay. <laughs> so here's the three questions that you're not going to have to answer on the air. I'm going to let you go. But this is your assignment. You got to answer these three questions, knowing with your purpose statement right in front of you and a piece of paper separately, and you're constantly looking back and forth. I want you to answer these three questions. Who are the people I most want to help? What is the problem or desire that they have? And then what are the solutions to that problem or desire that excite me? And you start looking at the world of work and those things are going to start to appear. And then you come right back to your job description, which is now your purpose statement. And you're applying for jobs that either get you to that purpose statement or put you squarely in that purpose statement. When you do that, Tara, you're going to start finding the right opportunities that lead you to the right destinations. Thank you for the call. You got this. Hang in there. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.